Welcome to Capital Radio by Funds. I'm Liz. And I am Lika. And in this podcast, we demystify the world of private equity and venture capital. As a globally active fund placement agency, every day we meet interesting people from all over the world. We want to share their stories with you. Our guests are experienced investors and fund managers that will tell us what it takes to enter the black box of private equity. Our guest on the show today is Sandeep Uberoy. Sandeep is a managing partner at Jungle Ventures and has spent 10 years in advisory for tech companies in fundraising, M&A and exits. Prior to Jungle, he was an investment banker at Bank of America Merrill Lynch as the head of TMT for Southeast Asia, assisting numerous tech and fintech companies in their capital fundraising and advisory. Prior to banking, he was in the private practice of law with a focus on capital markets and M&A. At Jungle, Sandy gets to apply his experience to shape the strategy and performance of their portfolio companies. Sandy is an avid cricketer and golfer, and in his spare time, he loves reading fiction. He holds a BA LLB honors in law from NLS. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be on board. All right, Sandy, let's kick off. Could you perhaps tell us a bit about your professional background and how you ended up at Jungle Ventures? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I started my career initially as a lawyer. I guess prior to that, I let, read a lot of John Grisham. Thought it's going to be as exciting, <laughs> but I uh, did enjoy it. Um, moved into investment banking where I think I found my niche. Um, got to spend a lot of time helping the ecosystem develop its as Southeast Asia. You know, from the tech landscape, is still at, at a very nascent pivot. So I got I got to work with some amazing founders in the region who are building you know amazing things today with the likes of Gojek and stuff. I uh, worked with them across the board, and and that kind of culminated into me working with a lot of jungle portfolio companies and jungle reaching out to me in 2020 to kind of fit into this role. And, and now at Jungle, I'm one of the five managing partners. And you already touched upon this. Uh, so Jungle invests in Southeast Asia and India. And our listeners may not be as familiar with this region. Could you give us a brief snapshot of how you how you see the region? Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. We're one of the pioneers in actually covering both of these regions because predominantly if you see VC funds have either covered India or Southeast Asia. And now there have been multiple funds that do crossover investments between these. I think both of these markets are very fascinating. So if you look at Southeast Asia, for one, it's a culmination of many very different countries from the likes of Singapore to Indonesia to Vietnam, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Thailand. But what... All of these companies kind of resonate too, is, is they're part of the ASEAN network. So they've been always been very collaborative. And, you know, a, a person who's 25 year old sitting in Singapore or in Jakarta, take that to Vietnam today, have, have very similar preferences on, on the internet of things and how they shop to how they spend money to from a digital perspective. The adoption rates are really high. They're close to about 700 million people today. And majority of the population is, is less than 30 years old. That has kind of also driven today to what we kind of see. There's so many entrepreneurs that are coming out. These entrepreneurs not only you know, our first time, but a lot of them have worked for tech companies, kind of have seen the ecosystem and are kind of solving for problems out here. Moving aside to kind of India, India is a different beast altogether. You know, it's got about 1.3 billion people today. Tech adoptions have been through the roof and you'd see the number of unicorns coming out are extremely high from there. I would say COVID has 
benefited the tech companies in both regions, but particularly in, in India, where the adoption has gone down to tier three, tier four, because it was mainly always tier one, tier two cities. Interesting. And Sandeep, I love how you spoke about how there's so many differences in Southeast Asia, but actually in the area that Jungle works in, in tech, their preferences in, in that sense are more united. And you mentioned how, you know, Jungle's one of the first companies that really moved through both Southeast Asia and India. Were you kind of one of the first movers in both of these markets and also first movers in a VC company or firm that addressed both of them? So maybe you can speak to your position in the market there and also, you know, what specific challenges were associated with being a first mover in either and or both? Yeah, look, that's a great question. I think from a Southeast Asia perspective, we're definitely one of the pioneers out here in the region. You know, when we set up our first fund, which was back in 2012, and, and that fund was just about $12 million, was the largest in the region. So you can imagine there was a lack of VC money at that point of time within the region. You know, and from a bell curve perspective, if you look at it, a number of some of the global VCs started just understanding the region. They weren't even here investing. Whereas I think India went through a very different subset. India, there were always a lot of local VCs that were prevalent out there, plus global VCs that had set up a presence. So I would say India was was something that we wanted to mirror what we were doing in Southeast Asia, whereas we've been pioneers in Southeast Asia as a market. Yeah. And I think, you know, we work with you mainly on the fundraising side, and we've had also calls with LPs together. So I think that LP side is also interesting. For a lot of LPs, this is also, uh, I think, a new region, especially for maybe more uh, European-focused LPs. Um, What do you think is the biggest misconception about the region that you have to address when you are speaking with LPs? I think that's. Uh, I think one of the key things for LPs is LPs are very familiar with China and India. But per se, when it comes to Southeast Asia, people have kind of struggled. I think the key considerations for LPs is understanding the markets. Right? There's a bit of formal always driven to it, whether who's investing in there or, or kind of like the subsets of what's happening in the region. I think today you've seen. A- a large number of companies from the likes of C, Grab, GoTo, a lot in our portfolio like Credivo, Moglix, who've kind of come up to the scale where most LPs now have heard of these companies that have been doing you know really well. And I think from that perspective, it's always helped. In terms of the funds, I think what we've tried to do is also build our basis of educating LPs of what portfolio companies are doing here, how strong the ecosystems have developed. Now, I think the key is for LPs to kind of understand the geographies because you're dealing with close to nine to 10 different markets. How does regulation work in each of these markets? How do crossover investments work? Do you become a local player? Do you become a regional player? So we spend a fair bit of time giving, you know, the market dynamics on on how things work. And I think that once you educate them, they kind of see the possibility and the the growth out here, which, you know, changes a lot of LPs' minds to kind of start spending time here, understanding the managers that, that are in the space out here. Private equity has always been prevalent in the region and has done very well. So I think it's, it's just a matter of time. And we've kind of seen that, particularly with the impact of what happened in China over the last year and a half, people started paying a lot more attention to the region, of course, more so to India. And now that's been cascading down to Southeast Asia as well. Great. Sandeep, you spoke about how um, you have to help the LPs understand how you can address so many different markets, I guess, with with one fund or with your operations. We haven't really jumped into that, actually. Does does Jungle have feet on the ground and all the markets that you work in? How do and you leverage that, I guess, for cross-border investment? Maybe you can tell us. 
as a bit of a segue, but more about Jungle and what it is you do. Yeah, so Jungle today, we have about close to about 30 people and we're present in about four different geographies. So besides Singapore, where majority of the team sits. Now, Singapore allows you, you know, from, I mean, pre-COVID from that perspective, it's a very regional hub to travel around, it's very accessible. Um, whereas we've always had people on the ground in Indonesia, Vietnam, India, and we have an operating partner out of Boston. But the kind of subset is you want to be present in the markets where you are actually basing and sourcing deals to be able to also to help founders at, at a drop of a hat. So from a regional perspective, we look at, at Indonesia and India as very important partners to us. And so we have people in on the ground out there, not only sourcing deals, but also kind of evaluating deals to helping founders from the perspective of whichever way we can be operatively helpful to them. Vietnam is is a very is still nascent in, in in comparison to these two markets, but it's a really interesting market, I think, from a founder standpoint to the talent of tech that's coming out, maybe just a couple of years behind India from that same perspective, but it's definitely a market to focus on. I'm super excited about that. I would say Thailand a little less on, on that landscape yet. So we cover Thailand out of Singapore and, and Vietnam itself and, and similar to Philippines. Sure. And you said you're excited about Vietnam other than the amazing food that's there. <laughs> and speaking of investment opportunities, what really excites you about Vietnam in particular? I think look, it's, it's the depth of the talent like these guys are all entrepreneurs they're hustlers in the right sense of the way that you know they're really driving the company the tech talent that's coming out there is not shy to develop products and offerings that that kind of cater to the market the market size is you know it's over 100 million people out there again very young demographic very open to adoption of tech um so from a landscape that you look at it, I think, you know, consumer adoption is still very low, but it's it's increasing so fast out there that it makes it very fascinating. We've invested in a couple of very amazing companies out there. So one was we did our first EV investment in a company called Datbike. Now, Datbike, uh, they built motorcycles, which cater to call it the you know the younger generation. But the differential is the battery technology that they that the founder Son developed is on a complete on a three hour charge, and you don't even need a charging station. You could you could charge it at your you know a normal electric socket point. Um, you end up going for about two hundred kilometers and with a top speed of one hundred and ten. So you get that full bike experience. Wow. What he's done and completely factoring in into the aspect the ESG and, and climate, which is very appealing to us. Today, this company is is doing an A round, and and you know we we did the pre and the A it was so oversubscribed because of what they've been able to do. Subsequently, we just invested in a company called Mio. Mio is a social e-commerce platform out there, which is again at a very early stage, but they've been able to get so much of the market share, great depth of talent that is in there. And then of course we have Kyot Viet. Kyot Viet was one of the companies which did a series B and we had KKR follow us. And you know, as, as you know, KKR doesn't do series B or such early stage investing. This is a SaaS mm-hmm. platform that sits above the POSs and, and which helps integrate between the mom and pop stores to the shoppies and Lazadas of the world to the local guys, Dicko, Sandy's to allow payments to, it's got even more maturity, which manages inventory, your HR payroll. So multiple subset And this company is growing year on year, about 300% in terms of revenue. So the size of the economy, everything about it, I think has been fascinating. And like you said, I love the food also out there. So I'm not going to complain <laughs> about that. 
But I just think it's the degree of the entrepreneurship that, you know, you'd never expected it to come out of there. I really look forward to Vietnam as, as, as a key market for us and I'm sure for other VCs going forward as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Really exciting to be active in such a, a region and I think also a sector where things are changing so rapidly. So how have you also seen that evolve a lot over the over the past years? Because you've been active in Southeast Asia and India, I think, for, for a long time already. Is that something you've seen grown a lot? Again, you know, from the early vintages to now where we are and we're in our fourth vintage, I would say quality of founders has increased enormously. Yeah. And again, it's thanks to the whole ecosystem that's been developed out here. You know, when, when you have the likes of... You know, the Gojeks, the Grab, the Credivo is the Moblix, where you see a lot of initially these people being employees and, and then kind of seeing how they've transformed businesses or disrupted businesses. They get ideas where there are still stop gaps or, or something else that they could actually do better in. So that subset and training is, is all coming through. So you're seeing entrepreneurs and you're seeing the talent around them that hunger to kind of succeed. Most, you know, earlier, if you asked a kid traditionally coming out of university, they'd want to opt into banking or law. Today, majority of them want to work within the tech ecosystem because I think it's from a lifestyle. It's, it's not that you're not working hard or anything else, but it's just that adaptability to think out of the box deliver solutions has been fascinating. So I, I would honestly hand to heart say, you know, the, the entrepreneurs that are coming out of here are as good as anywhere else in the world. Excellent. And like you say, if you're in your fourth vintage now, Sandy, you really have been able to see the the evolution of that and both yourselves as a firm, but also the, the ecosystem around you and you are part of that ecosystem. You've spoken about, I guess, the quality of founders and technology that's coming out. And I guess, you know, has Jungle's investment thesis stayed the same over the four vintages? And, and maybe you can speak more about kind of what bets you're making on the future in the space. Like, disruption you know vcs also have to keep evolving with the space because you know if you're stuck within one paradigm you're, you're not really moving forward so you know if i take the first vintage to where we kind of saw and learned a lot of things to the current vintages i think one couple of trends that are really fascinating for us is we're re really focused on software and, and you know particularly SaaS companies that are coming out of here and they're not solving solutions just for this region but they're you know, they're solving problems globally. And that's what we want to do. Because as a fund, we don't look at just local. What we want to be is to help our founders go offshore just rather than staying onshore. And, and we've done it really successfully with a number of our companies. Take Builder, for example, which started out of India today. You know, majority of their business is coming out of the US. They're re-domiciled out there. The founder sits in, in Europe. So it's a whole subset of how we go about from a paradigm shift. And I think to your question out there, it comes out to, you know, the want of the founders. Earlier founders wanted to just stay within, say, Indonesia. They saw the market big enough. But today, once they create barriers to entry, they're looking at which is the next stop. Take Sociola, one of our cosmetic platform companies. It's a B2B and a B2C. You know, started out of Indonesia. Today, the dominant name for that within that vertical has now moved to Vietnam and then soon be expanding to the GCC as well as other markets in Southeast Asia. Nice. And Sandy, could you give us maybe an example of one of your favorite portfolio companies and kind of how that process went from investing and why you guys invested in them and uh, potentially how they are doing now? 
well, you know, I'll be hit on the head by the other founders <laughs> if I say, you know, if I pick one. But but to be honest, I, I would really say, you know, we're really lucky as as a firm because we've been able to work with amazing founders, right? I I don't have one company to pick or, or, or a favorite, but just to use as an example or, or a subset, you know, we've had companies, particularly software companies in the region that have started to take builder, you know, just started out India was doing a low code, no code, you know, and what we did was help them expand. So we have someone in the US, this person called Chris, who's an operator himself, like he's run a number of SaaS companies he kind of understands what sells in, in that market. Now, to kind of justify whether you're a SaaS company, it's always good to have the U.S. markets covered in. Similarly, if you look at Sociola, which I just spoke about earlier, and you know there were a lot of term sheets on the table. And, and the reason they came to Jungle was they kind of saw what we did with Pomelo. Pomelo was, is a fast fashion brand of ours, which started out of Thailand. This was in the second vintage that we went into. We helped them expand into Southeast Asia. And today, they're the dominant uh, fast fashion for, for women, particularly for the Gen Z and the millennials. And they kind of got that feedback to kind of go and, and you know, from, from there, what Jungle did and Sociola took our term sheets, which weren't at the highest as well in, in comparison. But you can also see the, the degree of the founders who today are not just chasing valuation, but they actually chase expertise and, and the value that Jungle brings to the table. So, you know, coming back to your point, so besides just software, you know, consumer is a very big dominant area, whereas unlike in the West, where you already have, you know, the Amazons of the world to the Pindudos or, or Ali's, I, I think here the ecosystem is still developing. The horizontals are are pretty much developed, but on the vertical side, there's still a lot to play for. Sounds like a really great space to be in, Sandy. <laughs> Maybe I'm so also really curious about what your favorite part of your job is. What gives you, they have a saying here in the Netherlands that I had to get used to, which is what gives you the most energy, <laughs> which I think is a really great way to describe it. Yeah. Tell us about that. No, I think, look, every morning you kind of wake up to is, it's not a, that you wake up to any problems, but I think it's, it's kind of the solution driven where I get to work with our founders every single day, you know, and, and, and our LPs, which are amazing. Cause what we're trying to bridge for is not just a, a stopgap for funding, but it's kind of the execution of getting it right. Cause the region here is very heavily dependent on you executing whatever you're doing. You know, innovation is a subset that follows through. And that's what we, I do very closely. You know, we kind of strategize whether, you know, how we're going to approach a market. Who could be the competitors there? What could be the best dynamics for acquiring, you know, consumers or adoption and, and kind of like triangulate that within the whole ecosystem to see how that works. Another thing that, you know, I really enjoy is, is working on partnerships, whether it's between our portfolio companies to extending it to, you know, the fangs of the world or other large tech companies where we can collaborate and also with traditional industries today, right? Traditional industries kind of see what's happening out there. So rather than them being disrupted, they want to kind of join the bandwagon effect of how they could collaborate with these tech entrepreneurs because i think you know earlier where you would have a, a traditional company not willing to take a meeting with a 23 year old today they're scared about the 23 year old whether he's going to disrupt their business so you know that is another area that i really enjoy about every day is is fascinating kind of how you see mindsets kind of evolve of founders they're never satisfied with just getting that limited extent of growth, but it's it's going after dominance and doing it in a very fashioned manner of what they want to deliver on an outcome basis. And, and they want to build companies that last rather than, you know, it's fly-by-night companies. Yeah, 
exciting space to be active in, uh, Sandeep. And you also seem really passionate about it. So thanks a lot for, for your answers. So hereby we finalize the first part of the interview. And now we'll move to the second part, which we call the fire round. So first we will ask a couple of really short questions and you can just answer the first thing that pops up in your head. And then we end off with a series called Overrated or Underrated, where we ask you to tell if you think certain items are overrated or underrated. But we will start with the short questions if you're ready. Yeah, these are the ones that always get people in trouble. So I'm going to try to be as <laughs> diplomatic as possible. They don't have to be controversial though. So uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay. What is your morning coffee order? Oat milk cappuccino. Great. And Sandy, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Uh, the ability to cure COVID. Cool. And what book are you currently reading? I'm reading Red Notice. That's a good one. And please name three traits in your eyes that make a successful GP. I think the ability to identify, the ability to say no, and the ability to kind of innovate as well. Excellent. That wasn't too controversial, was it? <laughs> um, that's the, I guess, the short questions. And now, um, Sandy, if you can just tell me, I'm going to name yeah, a number of topics and you can just say if you think um, immediately if they're overrated or underrated. I'm going to start with cricket. Underrated. What about a 2% GP commit? Um, overrated. And Twitter? Neutral. <laughs> uh, what about in-person portfolio company due diligence? Underrated. And TikTok. Overrated. All right. And finally, what about Singaporean laksa noodle soup? For the world, underrated. <laughs> Everyone should try it. Yes. Oh, awesome. That was the fire round, Sandy. And that was the, that was the interview. Thank you so much for your time. I think both Lika and I have really enjoyed working with you at C-Funds and, and hearing you tell your story to LPs. And we thought it would be perfect to have you as a guest on the show to share your story with no, our listeners. Definitely. So thank you. Um, no, yeah. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure working with you guys. And, and thank you so much for all that you've done. Uh, we look forward to working with you in the future as well. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care. Cool. Thanks, Sandy. Bye.